Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, Fangirl Nation. We are back with a fantastic episode of Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Believe. I am joined by Minnesota Vikings reporter for ESPN.com and ESPN radio host, Courtney Cronin, to talk about being comfortable being uncomfortable, picking your battles and not being afraid to use leverage when you need to, and building trust in reporting. Courtney also shares the best advice she received when starting out and her pretty epic life motto. You guys are going to love this episode, so make sure to subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy. Courtney, thank you so much for joining me today for Get My Job. Of course. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, You guys don't know this, but now you will. I've known Courtney a while uh, when she first started in the Bay Area, and I would get to see her every Sunday or eight Sundays at Levi Stadium. In those days, it was never more than eight because the team was going nowhere (laughs) fast. Uh, But I would see her often. And now you are off in Minnesota. You are the Vikings reporter for ESPN.com. You're hosting ESPN Radio. It's been so fun to just watch your career essentially skyrocket. Uh, But for our listeners who maybe are not as familiar, will you please take us through your professional journey? Sure. Um, I guess it's almost been, I was thinking about this the other day. I think I've almost been in the field like a decade, probably just shy of that. Like I start, I graduated college in 2012. So my first real job as a journalist didn't come until 2013. So Mm -hmm. almost, almost about eight years now, eight solid years in the field. But um, I went to Indiana for my undergrad Got a postgrad internship at the NCAA right out of college because I thought I was going to go the local TV route and mm-hmm. be a weekend sports anchor. But, you know, I put my stuff together and never heard from anybody. So it's probably a blessing that it worked out the way it did. Their loss. <laughs> um, but we, yeah, I, I was at the NCAA for 10 months in an internship capacity, kind of learned like the ins and outs of the production element, which helped me when I got my first job at the Clarion Ledger in Jackson, Mississippi to build their video platform, uh, specifically what they were doing in sports. And I kind of covered a little bit of everything. I got my roots in, in high school football, high school basketball recruiting, but got a chance to cover SEC football between Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And it was just a really exciting three years. Every day felt like an adventure. There was something new to learn about the field of journalism, just about sports in general. I really feel like my football knowledge kind of, you know, took off there. And I learned a lot about the game from so many high school coaches that were willing to give me time and Mm -hmm. explain, you know, what they were doing and, you know, why it mattered and kind of the, you know, the overall, um, you know, my overall knowledge of football really like up, took a big uptick in Mississippi. And so I was there from 13 to 16, early in 2016, And then I went out to the Bay Area where I worked at the San Jose Mercury News um, as a sports video journalist as well. And I guess to back up, like I was also a writer in Mississippi. um, Mm -hmm. And it's kind of an important part I left out there. But I was a high school. I was outside of my video work. um, I transitioned into a role the last half of my job of my time there as the high school sports and recruiting editor. So I got a chance to really like, I didn't, I wasn't a writer coming out of college. Like I was a broadcast major. So I never really Mm -hmm. learned how to write until I was a quote unquote professional journalist. So that's always a fun part of my story. I think that, you know, might be different than other people who are Mm -hmm. in my position now. But anyway, so I go back, I go from a writing role back into a video role when I get to the Merck and it was totally different covering pro sports, you know, walking in in the midst of the Warriors going 73 and nine in 2016 
and being so heavily entrenched in the NBA and how you cover that from a video perspective really as like a one person shop was so mm-hmm. vastly different than what I did in Mississippi, just because the, the, the video rights are different. The overall access is different. It was just a completely different experience. But I got my feet wet with the NFL out in California. That's where we obviously met when I was splitting time between 49ers and Raiders that season Mm -hmm. and was only in the Bay Area for 17 months. It feels longer, um, Mm -hmm. but it's really like a turning turning point of my career being out there, uh, just given all that I did and packed into a very tight time frame. And it was before training camp or right as training camp was getting started in 2017 where I got a call from ESPN. Like I was going to the athletic with several of my colleagues from the Mercury news and ESPN called and said, Hey, don't know like kind of what you're doing right now, but we have an opening in Minnesota to be the Minnesota Vikings beat reporter for ESPN's NFL nation. Are you interested? And I knew it was one of those things that I couldn't like, Oh, I'll get you next cycle. Come back to me next year. I'm already going, I'm, you know, I'm a signed seal delivered pretty much going to the athletic, you know, it wasn't one of those things I could turn down. So within like a week, my whole plan for that, the rest of that year changed. And mm-hmm. I was, you know, looking for places in Minnesota and trying to learn about the Vikings, a crash course um, on that. So I've been here since 2017. Mm-hmm. I'm the beat reporter for the Vikings, basically for ESPN.com. There's 32 of us, one for each team. And I do everything, the day-to-day operations of covering my team, um, I do, you know, some TV work as well. I just had a, a piece air on countdown on Justin Jefferson's touchdown celebration dance called the gritty. Um, and I'm also really heavily involved with ESPN radio. I'm a national fill in host. So I've been doing that part since the spring of 2019. So just over, you know, about two and a half years, really heavily focused on expanding my reach with radio. And I really enjoy it because the audio platform, like what you're doing here with your podcast, it, that's that's the way people consume uh, mm-hmm. so much of their content now, whether it's sports, whether it's news, what have you. And I think in radio, you know, sports talk radio is still very much alive. Um, and the mm-hmm. platform I have with ESPN radio is really, really cool. But yeah, I just, I'm in my fifth season now covering the Vikings and four full years, four and a half now, full years at ESPN. I can't believe you've been there four and a half years because in my head, you like just left the Bay, even though I know you didn't because that first game in 2018 between the 49ers Mm -hmm. and the Vikings in Minnesota, we all had dinner together and it was so fun. It was like a reunion. But in my head, it still wasn't that long ago. I know. (laughs) It was the same way. Like it's wild to me to think this is the longest place I've been because, you know, as a journalist, a lot of times you're bouncing around in the early mm-hmm. part of your career. And, you know, I'm still not even 10 years into this. So I still consider this the early part of my career. And I've moved around a lot from Indianapolis to Jackson, Mississippi, to the Bay Area, to Minnesota in an eight year span is, is pretty wild. So I want to unpack a couple things in there. Uh, I'm trying to decide what I want to do first. Okay, I know what I want to do first. Since you just talked about moving, let's start with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important thing to, to discuss because obviously now you're at ESPN. And when you think of sports and sports reporting, of course, the pinnacle is ESPN. But you had to be open to saying, yes, I will move to Minnesota and being open to it in a week and generally being open to moving all over the place. And I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about that so our listeners who want to be in sports journalism understand you don't just wake up one morning and you're like, now I'm on ESPN. There's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, it's 
it's some of the best advice I received in college because I'm from the Chicagoland area. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of my friends that weren't in journalism, you know, either business majors or they're in medicine or whatever, like they can choose to go back home after graduation. Like I mm-hmm. knew immediately, like when I was in college and pursuing journalism, that I wasn't going to be starting out in the market of my choice. I had to go mm-hmm. where the job was. And I've always kind of carried that approach throughout my career where eventually you get to a point where you can put some roots down and you can settle. But the mm-hmm. early, I mean, m- my job has dictated my twenties. Um, mm-hmm. and now in the early part of my thirties where I'm trying to figure out, okay, can you put roots down? What is the next step? Because I've had, you know, three full-time and I'm currently in my third, like full-time real capital J journalist job. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your early part of your career, you can't, if you want to make something in of yourself in this field, you can't, just say, oh, well, I'm going to go here and, you know, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to start out covering pro teams. I'm going to start out covering the NFL. I just don't feel like it works that way. At least that's not my experience with it. Like I had to be comfortable being uncomfortable in brand new places, picking up and moving at, you know, a moment's notice, doing whatever I had to do to further my career, to get the opportunities and the reps that would let like set me up for success for the next job. So that's kind of always been my approach. And I always tell young journalists that, you know, I tend to think it's an anomaly. The people who, you know, start out writing or, you know, working at big newspapers, covering pro teams, it just doesn't typically happen. And to never be ashamed of, you know, getting your start covering high school football, keeping your own stats, um, you know, working for little pay, like that's, that's how a lot of us honestly get our start in it because it's a very unforgiving industry in the sense that you have to make a lot of personal sacrifices, but the mm-hmm. reward that comes down the line hopefully is, is worth it because there's, you know, there's so much that goes into this job and all that you have to give up just to make it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's a story that not only I can talk about, but just, you know, anybody else who's been in this industry can. And that is, that is the reality of the industry. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot on this show and we can get into this a little further uh, down the line, but we talk a lot about it on, about balance and how there's not really any such thing Mm -hmm. because your, your balance is going to come throughout your lifetime. Your balance is going to come in that one year, it may be 88% work. And then one year you may be able to say, okay, now it's, uh, now I can do 60, 40. But this idea of this like 50, 50 work-life balance just isn't a reality. No, not at all. And as a beat writer, you really, you're covering, you know, you're covering every element, every angle of your team. Um, You know, how it was put to me kind of recently is that it's, you know, this like living, um, you know, it's this living organism effectively Mm -hmm. that, you know, changes and adapts over time. It's an ecosystem that it's not like you can just shut it off. Like you are entrenched. Like you don't just go home and say, oh, well, something happens. Like I'm not going to do anything. I'm off the clock. Like it's a 24 seven job. And yeah, there are parts of the year that are a little quieter than others, but it's, the balance aspect and having, you know, the things that other people have where they have more structured hours, they have more ability and flexibility to do things just doesn't always come with this job. And I think that that's something you have to be willing to give up in terms of, you know, being away from family not having roots down, not being able to, you know, feel completely stable in what you're doing if you're trying to climb and make your career dreams reality. And people ask me, even friends who I've had for years who know what I do every year, what are you doing for the holidays? Like I, 
nothing. I, I, I mean, I won't, nothing. I'm not going to sit it, but we work. We have football mm-hmm. season goes through February. So, uh, well, I don't think football season really ever ends, but you know what I mean? Until, you know, after the Super Bowl, there might be a few weeks. Like that. I'm like, that's when my holidays are. Mm-hmm. There's a couple weeks in February and then about six weeks during the summer. Those are really my, uh, my holidays. And, and that's an important thing to know because you don't get to just pick and choose when you are you know, covering a team. Uh, you talked a lot about, or you talked a little bit about being a kind of a one person shop when mm-hmm. you were first were starting in all your different positions. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how that helps kind of prepare you for mm-hmm. what you're doing today. And in that time, what tips you found for young reporters starting out? Yeah. So like, I think the beneficial thing for me was that I was working at a place that had no clue about video, like two newspapers mm-hmm. couldn't have, you know, been the polar opposite of a place where you're going to go and, and have support and have an editor and all of that. Like I was just kind of this other branch that they deferred to me as the expert. So it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of failure, a lot of firsts that were first for a reason because they were last as two, mm-hmm. like, you know, having to sink or swim and not have the guidance of, you know, working with editors and having people critique my work from like a, you know, perspective, like they knew what they were talking about, you know, really pushed me to rely on my internal, you know, abilities as a journalist of like, is this good content? Is it not? Is it resonating with people? What should I change? And then also kind of forcing me to like reach out to my network and have people that, I trust, um, evaluate my work because I wasn't really getting that 24 seven, um, in in the two newspapers that I worked at. And it's no fault of the newspapers. I think that now you're starting to see papers in the online space, uh, you know, venture into doing things related to video and it's great. Mm -hmm. You know, I was kind of on the, the forefront of it back in 2013 through 2006, 17, and now you're seeing it explode the last five years. So that's, that's probably like a, a really big part of it. I think from like the early part of my career where it taught me to be really independent in terms of, you know, if you want feedback on something, go seek it out. Nobody, you know, nobody's going to just be like, Oh, Courtney, this was a great job on this. Like if you want to make sure that you're doing a great job um, and get other eyes on your product, you have to go seek those out because it's never going to be something that, you know, editing staffs regardless are so thin that even if you're a writer and if you want, Mm -hmm. you know, feedback and to know like, Hey, am I on the right track? You have to go seek that out. So it's kind of, it taught me a proactive approach about how to do that for sure. And in that time, did you ever receive any criticism that was, I, I ask everybody this question and I like to phrase it like this, criticism that either was constructive and really mm-hmm. helped you yeah. or criticism that was really not constructive and it taught you to learn who to, who to take criticism from yeah. and who not to. A hundred percent. When I was in Mississippi, so started there in May of 2013 and you know, had crushed it early on that Mississippi mm-hmm. state goes to the college world series. And within, you know, a couple of weeks I'm out there and we were out there for two weeks that year. It was a long year. Okay. I think we turned in 40 different videos, um, oh, wow. anything from like, you know, small little cutups to highlight reels, to individual features, to, you know, stuff that I really poured my heart and soul into. And they saw that, like my executive editor saw that and was like, wow, like we, we, you, we didn't even bring you in here to do baseball. We thought you'd be working on a few other things, but wow, like we're really excited about football season. So two months after that is July and we're gearing up for the SEC football season to start. And, you know, the big thing is go to SEC media days, it, you know, the kickoff to the season, what have you. And 
I remember an assistant sports editor at that time, because we had had a personnel change in our department, was talking to our Mississippi State and Ole Miss beat writer, um, and, and the two of them, and said, like, hey, we're going to send Courtney to SEC Media Days with you guys, but we want you two to be the talking heads on, on video, because they didn't think I was capable, um, or this one person did not think I was capable, knowledge-wise, to be able to you know hold a conversation, to sound like I knew what I was talking about. And it really bothered me. Um, and there would also been because, I, you know, this was the thing that like I had to deal with. And, I, and I'm sure other people who are in video roles at newspapers, the non-traditional medium at the at the corporation you're at, I'm sure people deal with that. I dealt with a lot of writers who did not want anything to do with what I was doing because their product stands alone and, and their product carries everything and videos ancillary and what have you. So I had dealt with the comments of like, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing. Like, you know, this, you know, right, you know, the written product is is king. All this stuff, and I think that you have to pick and choose your battles. That's one thing I learned from this. Like, piece of criticism is that, you know, there there have been other instances of this previously, but this was the one that finally sparked me into action. Where I told my executive editor, I went to him and said, hey this is an issue. Um, either it gets remedied and it, it, you know, it's not an issue anymore or, or I'm going to the local TV station that's, you know, trying to poach me right now because I wasn't on contract uh, with a newspaper and little like, you know, it took like five seconds and, and all of a sudden the, the issue is resolved, which is, you know, shows you when you have leverage, use it. Don't be afraid mm-hmm. to use like to, to flex your muscle a little bit, especially when, you feel like this is the right time to do it. Not every problem needs to rise to like, you know, DEFCON level five and everything mm-hmm. else, but you need to stand up for yourself because there are a lot of people who just want to tear you down because they're mm-hmm. insecure and because they don't, they're, try, they're protective of what they're doing and don't realize that you can add something to what they're doing. So picking your battles is probably the biggest thing I learned from that criticism and also just speaking up for yourself. Like if you feel like you're being wronged, um, and someone's trying to take an op- opportunity away from you unjustly, you know, fight for it. If it's worth it, fight for it. But you got to know deep down in your gut, like what is worth fighting for versus what is worth like kind of like, you know, taking a back seat on. That's excellent advice because I think it, that's a hard thing, especially when you're just starting out oh, for sure. to learn that line. And I think that's really, really good advice for our listeners. Uh, what is a misstep you see women making when trying to break into the sports industry? think letting imposter syndrome get the best of you. Um, I deal with it still all these years in, like I have people be like, how can you deal with, you know, not thinking that you belong when you're this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, well, you know, live a day inside my head or Mm -hmm. anybody else who, you know, has made something of themselves in this field. And I promise you the criticism, the, I don't belong here, talk, all of that stuff is very real. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for younger women, I think, you know, falling into the the belief the the self-doubting and the in the negative self-talk is oh god it can really throw you off your path so that's probably like the first thing like it's hard because we go we, everybody has bad days and of course i think the hard thing is like we're supposed to be so grateful to be here right in this career mm-hmm. path we're just supposed to be grateful and happy to be here where it's like you have to work your ass off otherwise somebody else is going to come poach your job you're allowed to take days off you're allowed to relax a little bit. You're allowed to, you know, be a human being and, you know, mm-hmm. not have like, you know, maybe I didn't write the best story one week. Is it going to be the reason I get fired from a job? Is it going to be what people remember me for? Hopefully not. Um, 
So that's probably at the biggest piece. And then I think beyond that too, for, for younger women, you have to make sacrifices. Like mm-hmm. relationships sometimes take a back seat when you're trying to climb the career path, like to get somewhere. Like if you want to level out somewhere and you know, if you're, if you're in like a local TV market and you want to put roots down, have kids, get married in your early to mid twenties, that is totally fine, but it'll be twice as hard for you to pick up and, you know, make something of your career beyond that. Like, it's just, it's very difficult. There's a lot of women that, I mean, this is something that I, it's been passed down to me as advice from women that I respect who are older than me in this industry, who waited till their late thirties, early forties to have kids who didn't settle down in terms of putting down roots and buying a house or getting married till they were older. And that's kind of always the path that I followed because you have to be ready for your moment, at, you know, for, for your opportunity at a moment's notice. And mm-hmm. if you have other responsibilities, other things that are, you know, weighing you down in, in terms of not being able just to get up and go do what you need to do, like that's probably going to stunt your career growth a little bit. So those are probably like the two big things that I would give advice to young journalists. When you have those days of self-doubt, how do you deal with them? What do you have? Do you meditate? Do you do yoga? Do you just take a beat? Yeah. I mean, I think some days you just kind of have to like sit in it for a little bit and just realize that it's going to get better. Um, You know, social media is a really, really toxic place from Mm -hmm. time to time and not letting those comments, like one of the best pieces of advice that um, a former deputy editor of mine gave me about Twitter. He's like, Twitter's like 30% of the population, not even, but we are so entrenched in it as sports mm-hmm. journalists because that's the medium during games, you're live tweeting, you're interacting mm-hmm. with fans, you're posting your work there. So it feels like your world, but really mm-hmm. it's not like when I saw numbers from what, where our traffic comes from on ESPN.com, for example, and realizing that the ESPN app is where like, and my phone is like, I don't go there to look for stuff. Like I go um, I find I consume my news through Twitter, but I know that I'm in the minority for doing mm-hmm. that. A lot of people, our traffic just doesn't come from the places that I thought it did. So, so in my head of thinking, wow, everybody thinks that I'm terrible at my job, or I really shouldn't have said this, or, or you know, I shouldn't have written this. It was, it was dumb. Like you're hearing some of those comments on Twitter, but like the vast majority of the people who like read my stuff and listen to me are not coming through social media, which that's, I kind of have to remind myself of that some days when, when, and, you know, in fighting burnout too, I think that's a big Mm -hmm. thing. This part of the season, it's, you know, almost December, you're exhausted. We've been going like nonstop since the end of July with training camp. And, you know, for my team, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, they've just been every, every week is like some new challenge, some new big storyline with them that we're covering. So it's, it, you can't coast in season, not that you'd want to, but like it, the downtime element of being able to take a mental break and just kind of tap out from it from a little bit is very few and far between. So taking those opportunities when you can get them mm-hmm. is critical for like survival and just being able to maintain your stamina throughout the season. Well, you said something on Twitter the other day that I thought was really fantastic around the Everson Griffin situation, mm-hmm. which is obviously a very, you know, very sad situation. Hopefully he gets all the help that he needs. And you made a comment that someone said, oh, I can't believe you asked if he was going to play. And at the time, no we one no knew clue. what was going, we had no idea. And, you know, I know we get this a lot. I'm sure we get it on every beat, but we get it a lot in the 49ers beats, people on Twitter. The beat writers don't ask this. The beat writers don't ask that. And, you know, we don't come into your jobs and tell you, and you don't know everything that's going on every second. Exactly. And I think that's another thing with Twitter 
that it's important for everybody to keep in mind. You're getting criticism from people who really don't understand what you're doing or what's going on and are making all kinds of assumptions and, and putting that aside. Yeah. And it's, I know that there are always people like don't respond to the trolls, do that, whatever. Like also don't tell me how to respond and how not to respond. That's a big hot really? button for me. And I get it from other journalists. Like I've seen, I saw seasoned journalists being like, don't respond to this. I'm like, you do your, your job. I'll, I'll do mine. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. Um, mm-hmm. And the hard thing was with that situation, it's like you want to clarify that I'm not some callous asshole that just went out here and said, "Is it, you know, it's an active hostage situation. We don't know if he's going to end up doing something stupid with his gun. Like he won't come out of his house. Oh, is he going to play? We had no clue until that police report came out. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like, do I look like I'm trying to defend myself? Um, sure. I mean, people can think what they want, but I think it was important to clarify, like, no, I'm not you know, a moron who's like only focusing on, is he going to play or not? Like the football aspect. But at that time, the Vikings had just released a statement. Typically they won't do something like that. We had no clue if it was an ongoing situation. And, you know, fortunately it worked out okay where he got the help he needed. He came Mm -hmm. out of his home, whatever. But, you know, as a reporter, you have to, I mean, I'm a, I'm a football beat reporter. I have to cover the football part of it too. Like I understand this was a crisis, but you know, I just think that it's important sometimes to clarify, like, you know, you don't have to respond to everybody again, picking your battles. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't, I try my best not to engage with just, you know, silliness. Um, Anybody wants to say anything, Oh, you're a token hire. You're this, that, you know, Mm -hmm. well go check how many Twitter followers I have versus everybody else on the rest of my beat. Go check who Mm -hmm. breaks more news on the rest of my beat. Like I'm not trying to be not trying to, you know, to flex or anything like that, but like in fact, like, so I don't respond to things like that, or at least I try not to, but like sometimes things need to be clarified because I was getting a lot of comments. Like, I can't believe you asked if he's going to play on, you know, in the first question of Mike Zimmer, I'm like, this is an on, we had no idea. It was an ongoing situation that the police were outside of his house trying to get him to come out at that time. Like, but I think that was an important thing to clarify because otherwise, you know, context and nuance is everything. So absolutely. And I think those things need to be part of it. And it was important thing to clarify. And sometimes you do want to defend yourself, mm-hmm. not just you, the universe. You, you have every and, right to. Right? Yeah, to there's no reason. To. If someone's attacking your character or whatever they're attacking, you have a right to clarify. Mm-hmm. And that was a situation specifically where you had a right to clarify. And I think also Twitter sometimes forgets someone logs onto Twitter and sees all this news. That doesn't mean you saw the news or I knew exactly. the news three hours earlier. Mm-hmm. So that's an important thing. So I'm, I'm, I wanted to, to bring that up for sure. So when you got to Minnesota, you got there for training camp within like a week. Um, you obviously had to kind of start fresh, not kind of. You had to start fresh and build relationships. What tips do you have for reporters in being able to build those relationships with people that you're covering with sources mm-hmm. in a way that's, you know, appropriate and, um, you know, you become a trustworthy person to talk to? For For the first part of that, I think where, you know, you don't run with every little piece of information you've been given mm-hmm. you know, be able to build trust is to show hey you can talk to me and, and trust that i'm not going five minutes later to twitter to be like sources said xyz sitting mm-hmm. on information uh you know within reason i mean unless you're in like a breaking news situation but building that trust where you can have open dialogue and conversations to find out what's really going on within behind you know the walls of the team that you cover you know comes, it's a lot of work. And I always tell young journalists, if you just start out on a beat, do not expect to be breaking news left and right, right away. Like I'll, I'll use as an example, and it's 
there's some shade in here, but there's not because there was an, a journalist, a student journalist from LSU. I think he writes for the Daily Revelry, Revelry, whatever. Um, this past weekend, who ran with the fact that sources told him that LSU was going to hire Lincoln Riley, and mm-hmm. ended up having to walk that back. Kind of issued a pseudo apology on Sunday. You know, and just it's kind of like I think young journalists need to realize like stop getting into this to try to break news right away. And chances Mm -hmm. are, if you think you have something and and other, other people are not tweeting about it or talking about it, chances are, if you're just starting out like a, like a scoop like that, you think a student journalist is going to get that. I'm sorry. I don't care how good you are. And if you just start at the paper, like this is, I want, I want something positive to come out of that. And Mm -hmm. I hope that, you know, student journalists see that and don't just jump the gun because we are in a, in a day and age where anybody can just retract, oh, I was wrong and not have any credibility towards it. That's a big problem, I think, in our industry where, you know, everybody has quote unquote sources, but you can couch things to make it. If you don't really have it, you're couching it with different language. Oh, it, it's expected to, or this could change, not set in stone, whatever. Wait until you have something before you go with it. Like That's a big thing I always you know, tell myself, like, it, it's better to like have it fully than have like, you know, 75% of it right. And like want to go because you're worried about another outlet beating you on something. So there's that. And then, you know, build relationship, building relationships takes time. It, I, mm-hmm. When I first started out on the beat, it wasn't like I was, be, you know, able to, you know, sit down with coaches and, you know, ha- be, have a level of comfort where I do now, where if I needed something, there's certain people I'd go to, but, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, will take time for anyone. If I, if I started out on another beat right now, covering another team, maybe even another sport, I would be behind the eight ball in terms of, you know, institutional knowledge of the team takes time to build that, to be able to reference years past and what happened in this season, X, Y, Z. And then beyond that, just like building the relationships with the people that you need, you know, on the inside of your team. So Give it time, but like, you know, the off-season events for us, combine, senior bowl, owners meetings, those are things that are critical because you get FaceTime with people um, that you just don't normally have. And I'm going to add something to that if you don't mind, because this is something I do a lot. I go to as many community events as I can. First of all, I like to cover them. That's my background, pre-sports. I worked at at a nonprofit. I worked in Mm -hmm. politics and and that was, is very much my, my background as well. But there was a Thanksgiving event last week and I went and I was the only beat reporter at the event. And I got a lot of FaceTime with Trey Lance mm-hmm. and I got a lot of FaceTime with, with a lot of guys on that team, but Trey Lance is specifically one that people would <laughs> like FaceTime with. And, and that I went because I want to cover the event and because I think sure. it's so important to cover what's going on in the community. But a bonus of that is that is also a way where you get to build relationships and people kind of see they see a human side of you too. They see another side of you and the things you want to do. So that's something else I would definitely encourage people to do. And I will also say when I was starting, when I started Fangirl, I started by doing their community events. I reached out to the team and asked, can I cover community events? That's my background. That's important to me. I don't think it's something that gets covered very often. And that's how I also built the relationship with the team and the team credentialed me. So these are, those are just like an extra little Sure. Absolutely. Add no, that's on a, big, that's a big thing. I think the community events when, you know, now covering teams in the time of COVID where we don't have open locker room, like that might be mm-hmm. your only chance to have any sort of FaceTime with people aside from the interviews after practice, after mm-hmm. the games or, you know, anything that happens over Zoom, which 
I hope we get back to having an open locker room because those are those are important. And this was the first community event the media had been invited to since COVID. So that was like yeah, a cool yeah. thing too, to, to be involved with. So just a little extra thing. Um, all right, before we get to day in the life, I would like to know, how have you seen opportunities grow and change for women in sports? And how do you think we can still improve? We're starting to see more women beat writers across mm-hmm. the board, where it's not just women on the TV side of things, either as sportscasters or sideline reporters. I mean, we're seeing women in, on the TV side go into the booth, which is huge, I think, in mm-hmm. our, in, especially in football. But we have a lot of women who are writing daily for different publications, whether it's newspapers, whether it's The Athletic, whether it's ESPN.com. That, to me, is where the biggest changes have happened since I started at ESPN in 2017, like seeing us hire more women in different opportunities and have, you know, more women as, you know, kind of insiders, boots on the ground people is huge. And so hopefully that's kind of where we continue to trend upwards from here, Mm -hmm. where you're starting to see, you might have two women beat writers on a beat, which would be working for different outlets, which I'm still the only beat female beat writer on my beat. But I look at the Rams and I look at, you know, there's Lindsay Theory who works for us at ESPN.com and Jordan Rodrigue who works for The Athletic, like two very close friends of mine. And they're both like that. That's 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 not the norm yet. But I'm hoping that that'll become kind of where you have multiple women working for multiple different outlets on your beat. And we have that at the 49ers. There's two of us at least. Um, And then we have a female columnist. And so there's Mm -hmm. that's we're getting there. But I, I agree with you. That's a. That is a big thing. It's very cool to walk into a press, press box and see more female beat writers, but it's still a lot of men and one or two women, and it would be awesome if we had that number go up. Um, all right, so Courtney, can you take us through a day in the life? And it could be a weekday, it could be a game day, kind of whatever you think best describes what your days look like. Yeah, I'll do tomorrow, for example. So Tuesdays are days off in the NFL, but I always okay. try to like tell people they're not days off for people who cover the team. So that's right. that's going to be my work ahead day. But it's also like a it's probably one of my busier days. Like I'll get up, try to get a workout in. I have to be over at KFAN, which is the radio station that's like the home of the Vikings, and I do a okay. weekly segment on Tuesdays with Paul Allen, who is the voice of the team. He, you know, has been calling games forever. So that's around like 9am. So I'll do that. I'll do, I have a listening session with my producer from ESPN radio, who's been, you know, incredibly kind and helping me get better um, by doing these weekly sessions where we'll listen back to a show that I do over the weekend or, you know, I had a lot last week. So um, do that. I've got, you know, Beyond that, I have to start working ahead on what I want to write for this week. I've got a story that's due on Wednesday, so I'll probably do that mid-afternoon. And then I have to host radio tomorrow night from 6 to 8 Central Time. So I usually get hooked up for that around 4, 30, 5 o'clock. You have to do a lot of prep for that because it's not just NFL. Like Tomorrow we'll be doing college football playoff rankings and the big shakeup from this past weekend. So Go Blue! Yep. So, I mean, I've got to be reading up on my Michigan stuff, figuring out like, are there any scenarios for Alabama to not to, you know, be a two loss team and and still get into the playoff, all things like that. But it just goes to show like, you know, it's a busy day because I'm, I'm trying to like still put a bow on everything that I wrote from this past week and what it means from the 49ers game and then spin it ahead towards the Lions game for the Vikings while 
you know, working ahead on big projects and trying to figure out what my next feature is going to be. It's a lot, but you know, it's, it's, it kind of Tuesdays are my set myself up for success day. So like, I know Mm -hmm. if I, if I really took care of business on, on Tuesday, I'll be, I'll be flying Wednesday through Friday and then getting ready for the next game. I'd like to go back to something you just said in your day, you do a listening session Mm -hmm. to, to help you get better. And I just think it's really important to highlight that because again, it just shows once you get the opportunity, it's not like, okay, great. I got it. I'm good to go. Like you want to be constantly improving and how important it is, I think, to find someone that will work with you. Absolutely. Like that's so few and far between anywhere that you work. Somebody who's going to like take the time out of their day to help you get better. So like appreciate those people when they come into your life because it just doesn't happen all that often. Do you feel like you have a mentor or mentors? I've had several over the course of my career and it's not something where you need somebody to check in with like every week and do status checks and all of that. But like when you need like people that you trust in this business, you know, you can go to them and be like, Hey, I want to walk, I want to like talk through this issue that I had on the beat. How would you have handled it? Like, et cetera, et cetera. Having somebody like look at your work with like a critical, mm-hmm. you know, a critical eye on it. So I think that I've, I've had several over the course of my career and I continue now, like I'm in the, in the position where I've been doing it long enough. Like I feel comfortable giving younger journalists advice. So like I'm doing mentorship now where I've got a mentee. So, oh, you know, awesome. kind of the pay it forward element. Mm-hmm. Like you realize that after a certain part, uh, when you get to a certain point in your career that it's your turn now to start giving back and helping the next generation of journalists come about. Is that a, like a, program or is it just you have a mentee that you kind of uh, PA, pro football writers uh, of America does a mentee mm-hmm. program mentor mentee program so mm-hmm. that's how I got lined up with my mentee that's awesome mm-hmm. that's fantastic uh, and also so important and I think also would like to highlight with all the things that you have to do but how important and it's amazing that you do that but I think especially for female journalists we need to do that for each other yeah. and we oh, need to make yeah, the time. Each one, teach one. That's like my, one of my mottos. So Say that one more time. Each one, teach one. Oh, I like that. Um, you one, know, somebody one. helped me get to where I was. Nobody, I mean, we all want to be self-made. We all want to claim like we got here on our own. And yeah, like that's, that's great. But like along the way, someone gave you an opportunity. Along the way, someone held a door open for you. Along the way, you got your break because of somebody else. Um, nothing. I mean, we can all, we can cultivate our own luck and in, in our own breaks, but you know, there, you, you, you can't go through an entire career and not be like, you know, not have been helped by somebody along the way. So like, I try to always be really cognizant of that and very grateful for my opportunities and, you know, let the people know that who put me in these positions like that. I appreciate them. And I am grateful because that's how you get more opportunities like to act grateful, to, to be prepared to do a, you know, bang up job and, you know, to continue progressing from there. Thank you, Courtney. This has been amazing. Um, this has really been just such a great conversation, but before I let you go, we of course have to do five fun facts. So without further ado, five fun facts with Courtney Cronin. Courtney, what is your favorite moment in sports? I mean, I've covered a lot of really cool things, but nothing for me will compare to being a fan uh, in 2016, getting a chance to go to game five of the World Series between the Cubs and Indians. I got 49ers were on a bye that week. The Raiders were in Florida. So I had a chance to go home and got a chance to go to the game. And that's something I'll never forget because that's what turned around the series and they ended up winning. 
That's awesome. What is your life motto? I mean, it might be each one, teach one, but if you have another one. It's probably like one of the bigger ones. Um, I mean, don't sweat the small stuff is is such a cliche Mm -hmm. thing, but it really is true. Like picking your battles, picking what to get upset about, what not to get Mm -hmm. upset about and what to kind of put things in perspective. That's probably, I don't know if I have like a true life motto, but that's, that's probably one that I, I hold close to me. Go to workout. Do Orange Theory Fitness. Okay. Uh, I've been doing it since May of 2019. It changed my life. I love it. It's a high intensity workout, and it's you know, I, I know what I'm getting every time I go in there, and and you compete against yourself basically to get splat points, which is this afterburn effect where it mm-hmm. helps burn calories up to 48 hours after a class. Oh, so wow. like I'm I'm in there, and I know I'm there to do a job. I'm there for one hour, and I have to go all in for that one hour. What is your go to coffee order? <clears throat> from Starbucks, um, I like to get a, an, an iced venti Americano and I put two pumps of sugar-free peppermint in it um, and, and a pump of mocha if they have sugar-free, mm. great. So it's kind of like a peppermint, an iced peppermint mocha. Yeah, that sounds but it's delicious. a low calorie, lower calorie one. Oh, sounds really good though. I'm going to try that. What is a book every woman should read? I actually, I just grabbed this one off my coffee table. Um I read this whenever I can. It's called The Daily Stoic. So it's little affirmations. They're not very long. You can see it's like each day has a different page with it. Um, And because sometimes I get in a season and like I just like I'll like I'll read a lot during the off season. I try to like, you know, read topics like, you know, about politics and history and things that like don't pertain to my day to day just to stay like well-rounded as an individual. But I find that like my reading, I don't be, it kind of falls off during the season because you're so locked in on what you're doing. There's just not enough time to finish a, a full book. So this one is kind of my no excuse thing. It sits on my coffee table and I read it. I try to read it every day. I mean, it takes five minutes to sit there okay. and like think through it and, you know, make sure that, you know, I'll, I'll probably do it when we get off this podcast because I haven't done it yet today, but it's mm-hmm. kind of my no excuse. Give yourself five minutes to center yourself before your day starts. I chip it, typically try to do this first thing. And, and it's great. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things in here. It's meditation, wisdom, um, art of living, like all things that, that kind of, uh, about like mindfulness, stoicism, things like that, that are really important to me. Awesome. I'm going to check that out as well. Get that iced peppermint mocha and grab the book and yeah, call it a call it a maybe a Saturday morning. I usually yeah. kind of have Saturday mornings off. Um, well, thank you, Courtney. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you joining me today. Uh, and if you guys like what you heard, which I know you did, please make sure to leave us a five star review and make sure to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.